so glad, uh, so glad you're here today. Uh, how many of you uh, had an opportunity uh, to solve the custom wordle this week? A few of you do that? All right. It's uh, the alive is kind of uh, what the theme of the day is all about. And so let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll get into this message today, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his grace. We thank you uh, today, most of all, that he is alive. And may that message uh, challenge us and encourage us and give us a joy, hope, and peace in you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The biggest moments in life uh, create the biggest sense of nervousness. That's just true. I remember in 2003 when Cheryl and I got married, I was really nervous that day. And I wasn't really nervous about the details of the day. Uh, we had all that stuff laid out and we knew the service was was planned and, and none of that. And I knew even if the worst case scenario happened, we were still going to be able to sign on the dotted line and be married. So if, if it all fell apart, right, we were still going to be married. So I wasn't nervous about that. I wasn't nervous about marrying Cheryl. I was confident in our relationship. I knew that God had brought us together and uh, had a life in store for us. I wasn't really nervous about that life that he had in store for us. I was confident in God and, and his plan. Uh, I can't really tell you why I was nervous other than this. The biggest moments in life create the biggest set of nerves. Uh, how many of you remember driving your kids home for the first time, right? When you're driving your kids home from the hospital and you're like white knuckling it, uh, you're going on back roads, you're avoiding the highway, you're yelling at your spouse to, so you can concentrate, right? Um, hopefully you're not nervous about that, you, that you're having a child. Hopefully you settled that a while ago. You know, you're driving, should we have done this? Hopefully that's not the case. Ho hopefully it's just, it's, you know, it's already happened, all right? So uh, that, that part of it's over. Hopefully it, it's just this big moment and big moments create big uh, nerves. I'll never forget um, driving into Decatur, moving here uh, for the first time. I wasn't really concerned about whether or not you guys would be nice and cordial, maybe just a tad bit, but for the most part not. Um, I was nervous because it was a big moment. You know, we'd left Michigan, we'd, we'd moved here, it was a big moment, and that creates big nerves. And I'll confess to you this morning, I get nervous at Easter. I do. And actually, every pastor and minister that I know gets nervous at Easter. And you might wonder why that is. And I'll tell you, it's not the bigness of the crowd that creates the nervousness. It's the bigness of the message right? that, that creates the, the nerves. It's, it's a really, really huge message. And I've been thinking for months and months about what is, what is the message in 2022? What is the message that we need to hear. And I've thought about it a lot, and I think, man, in, in one way, I think the message we need to hear is one of encouragement, right? The last two years have been brutal, right? Pandemics, war, political discord. Uh, some of you may have watched the Oscars. Uh, you're one of a dozen that did, but if you watch the Oscars, <laughs> I'm confident even if you didn't watch the Oscars, you may have heard the news about what happened at the Oscars, that Will Smith uh, got onto the stage and, and struck Chris Rock in the face uh, during that award ceremony. And man, I don't remember a news story in recent memory that created such cultural conversation, do you? I mean, all of a sudden, everybody, we're getting text messages from people we haven't heard to in 10 years, right? Uh, did you see, are you watching the Oscars? No, I'm not watching the Oscars. I haven't watched them in years. But man, it created a ton of conversation. But what I really think it illustrated most of all is we're all kind of on edge, right? Uh, we can say whatever we want about Will Smith, but we've all thought about doing it, right? So 
uh, in, in, different, in different areas of our life. You know, we like, man, if I could just kind of walk over to that cubicle and, you know, we don't do it because we remain under control. But I think what it taught, taught us is that we're all just kind of squirrely, on edge, angsty, uh, and it's been a really and stressful, uh, a really tough and stressful season the last two years. So I thought, man, the message needs to be one of encouragement. Uh, I, I think the message needed to be needs to be one that is true. That in the world we live in, we have this kind of shaken confidence in the truth. Uh, that, that even when we see something that may technically be true, none of us really knows what to believe. Have you ever had that experience before where you're just watching a news story and you hear one analyst say one thing and another analyst say the other thing and you're like, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what is true. I don't know what is right. I don't know what take I should believe in, in this. And so I wanted what we presented today to be true. Because there's something about the truth that just instills in us a confidence and, and so I wanted us to hear something that was true. I thought the, the, the message needed to be a, a message of joy, hope, and peace. Because like I said, we have had a ton of bad news. And so I wanted you to come in here and I wanted you to hear some good news. Right? Take a break from CNN. Take a break from Fox. Take a break from whatever news source you watch. And just come in here and receive some good news. There is too much bad news in the world. I thought the message needed to be one, this just might be me, but hopefully you agree with me, that I wanted it to, inst- to instill a confidence in you when it comes to Jesus. That at the end of the message, that, that you would just have a renewed confidence in who Jesus was and what he came to do. And I, I have to say, after I studied a whole bunch of different passages, I agree really with what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, now brothers and sisters, I wanted to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you have now taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the other apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says, man, this Easter message, it is of first importance that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again, that he is indeed alive. It's a message that is encouraging. It is a message that is true. It is a message that results in joy, hope, and peace. And listen, the truth that Paul was, uh, the, the world that Paul was living in is really not that much different than the world that we're living in. Circumstances were different, but the issues were the same. A global superpower invading other countries, Paul, check. People wondering uh, and worrying about their their economic situation? Check. People wondering what is true and what I can really believe in? Check. And Paul says, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the war, in the midst of all the uncertainty, this is of first importance. This is what is important. This is what is true, that Christ the Lord is risen today. On May 4th, uh, 1865, after weeks of his body being on display, Abraham Lincoln was laid to rest kind of near his home in Springfield, Illinois, but he didn't remain there in peace. I found out kind of as I studied about Abraham Lincoln that there were a number of times that it was believed that robbers were going to come and steal the body of Abraham Lincoln for one reason or another. And so they ended up 
having to uh, move his body around to various locations in Illinois. But each time that they had to do that, there was a belief that the robbers had already been there and they'd already stolen the body. And so in the midst of all this, they'd have to open up his casket and find out if he really was uh, in there. And this happened several times. As a matter of fact, uh, the Lincoln's body was moved 17 times. And the casket was opened five times before finally uh, arriving at its final resting place, 36 years after his death. And let me tell you what they did to kind of ease everyone's concern, because every time they'd open it, the last time they opened it uh, for Robert to, to kind of verify, Robert Lincoln, to kind of verify uh, that, that he was still in there. But they placed it inside of a steel cage beneath two tons of concrete, and they poured, uh, that, that poured 10 feet high over his coffin where it's in the tomb today. They went to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate Lincoln is still in his tomb, and there are witnesses to that. Paul says Jesus is not in his grave, and there are witnesses to that. So why all the witnesses? Why does Paul go into all this kind of witness talk? He goes into it because this is of first importance. This is the message, and this is the story, especially this year. This is the message, and this is the story that is most important that we most need to hear that Christ the Lord is risen, and there are witnesses to that fact. Here's, here's how Matthew records the story. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. He's being chill here, right? His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and then you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The resurrection message, the resurrection story, first of all, it says to us, do not be afraid. The last couple years, I've talked about this a lot already, the last couple years have been brutal in terms of not being afraid. And I think we've really seen what happens, and the Oscars was the most recent example, but there's a hundred examples we can point to of what happens when a culture lives at level nine consistently. I think we've seen anger increase in our culture, mental health decline, unity and peace compromised, Love toward others decrease, suspicion increase, and the resurrection reminds us this morning, hey, you don't need to be afraid. Jesus is stronger, he's more powerful, and he is always in control. 2,000 years ago, what most people would consider to be the worst case scenario happened, that they killed Jesus, they put him in a grave, and three days later, he burst from that grave victorious. And that's a great story for him. I mean, if you think about it, at Jesus, you know how when you're at a dinner party, everybody tries to one-up? It's like, man, I got to tell you a story about how I broke my arm. You broke your arm, I broke both my legs. Or I got to tell you about my job. You think your job's cool? Listen to my job. Or I got to tell you about this vacation I had. Oh, you went to, to Europe? I did, you know, three weeks in Europe, you know, and everybody's trying to one-up. Jesus always won that game, right, after this? 
Someone's like, let me tell you about my job. You know, it's really important. I'm a government official. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you about what happened to me. They killed me. They put me in a tomb. They sealed the tomb. And yet, here I am. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? We want to hear Jesus' story. Shut up about your government job. We want to hear about Jesus, right? Um, that he won every single game of one up after that. And, and it's amazing. And here's the amazing thing. We, we think, man, that's a really great story for Jesus, that he rose from the dead. He promises the same thing for you. He conquered his grave. He promises he'll conquer yours. We need not be afraid. Here's how Jesus said it. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. And here's what he says. Do not be worried. Do not be upset. And do not be afraid. In a high fear culture, anxiety and suspicion are all ever present. In a resurrection culture, Joy, hope, and peace are ever-present. And I honestly believe we have been marinating for the last two years plus. Marinating in pandemic. Marinating in war. Marinating in bad economy. We've been marinating in political discord. What would happen if just for, maybe even just for today, but hopefully beyond today, what would happen if we decided to just marinate in the resurrection? The truth of it. That he is bigger he is stronger, that he overcomes, that he is risen, that he overcame his grave and he promises someday to overcome ours. He overcame his trials and he promises to overcome ours. He overcame his accusers and he promises to overcome ours. And we allow that, we just marinate in that truth, the truth of the resurrection as of first importance. I wonder what would change in our spirit. I wonder what would change in our soul. I wonder what would change in our mind as we just allow the truth of the resurrection to wash over us. The resurrection uh, message uh, is not just do not be afraid. It's he is risen just as he said. So Jesus talked about his own death and his own resurrection quite a bit, especially the closer he got to the cross. And the resurrection affirms his words about his death and later his resurrection. But the resurrection also affirms all of Jesus' words. Right? So the resurrection proves Jesus is who he said he was, and he can do what he says he can do. The resur- and, and, and anybody that was able to resurrect from the dead would be the same thing. If a couple days before they died, they said, man, I just want to tell you that post-resurrection, I'm going to give you a trip to Disney for you know, 30 days or whatever. And then they die, and you're like, well, I guess that's not happening. And then they raise from the dead. You'd be like, yeah, you're going to do that, right? You're going to do what you promised to do. The resurrection gives credence to his words. So let me just show you a couple of his promises. Jesus promised life to the fullest. The thief only comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they would have life and have it abundantly. The promise of acceptance. All those, not some, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I hear this all the time from people. That, man, if I ever showed up in church, you know, the place is going to burn down. Or there's going to be an earth. And I'd never, no, that's not the promise of Jesus. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Reward. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, but many who are first will be last and last will be first. Friendship, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. He calls you friend. 
For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you in real joy and true peace. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And you read all these things. I could have gone on and on and on with the promises of Jesus, but you read those promises and you're like, how do I know that he can do what he's promising to do? How can I know? The resurrection's how. It demonstrates his power. It demonstrates the truthfulness of his claims. It validates his message. It also validates the messenger. It always blows me away when people will often say, Jesus never really claimed to be God. And that's, you just need to know that's not true. He regularly claimed to be God. Uh, many, many times throughout the Gospels, he just doesn't use the exact same language that we do. But in the first century, when he would make a claim and people picked up stones to stone him, it's because he was claiming to be God. He did it on a regular basis all throughout the Gospels. And the resurrection reminds us, it validates him, that he was who he said, said he was and he can do what he promises to do. Uh, the resurrection message results in worship. I love how the text says it. Uh, the early followers of Jesus, when they saw him resurrected from the dead, and this is how we'd respond to, they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. And probably a better way to say this, rather than the resurrection results in worship, is that the resurrection reorders our worship. Right? Every single person in this room has one thing in common. We are all worshipers. Right? Every single person, we worship someone or something. Everyone worships. Uh, several years ago now, uh, my son was four years old, and uh, my wife and I took him over to the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis to see Frozen on Ice, right? And uh, so we're there with my four-year-old, and he loved Frozen at the time. Um, he's less enchanted by it now at the age of 10. <laughs> and he's in kid zone. He, he's in kid zone for like another four weeks, so I'm trying to use all these illustrations uh, because once he's in here, I got to give him $5 every time I use his name in a sermon. So... <laughs> So that's not true right now. So I'm trying to, a lot of Sam illustration over the next month before this kid gets super wealthy, all right? Um, and so we're, we're at the Scott Trade Center and uh, Frozen on Ice is playing out and all of a sudden uh, this song comes over the loudspeaker uh, called Let It Go. Now, until recently, Let It Go was the highest grossing Disney song of all time uh, and uh, the, the movie in general was the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. Just to put it in perspective for you, Frozen, just at the box office, right? Just people seeing the movie in the theater, 1.29 billion, billion, all right? So a lot of people saw this movie, Let It Go comes on, and all of a sudden, the, all these three, I felt like I had gone to church, all right? These three to five-year-olds are all of a sudden just bursting in song. Let it go, let it go. I can't hold it back. What are you talking about? You can't hold it back anymore. You know, you're five, right? You know, so, I can't hold it back anymore. You know, that sort of thing. And it's a form of little W worship, all right? I wouldn't call it big W. Hopefully it's not big W worship, but little W worship, which is passionately expressing your passion. And if you've ever been to a football game, you, you've, you've seen the same thing. I have these kind of big, burly guys, like, I'm just not a singer. I'm not a worshiper. I'm not into that. And then they're, they're, their game is on the line, and they're crying and high-fiving and taking their shirt off and singing their song. And I'm like, no, you're a worshiper, right? You, you just don't realize that you're a worshiper. It, it's a passionate expression of, of what you care about. If you've ever been to a patriotic event, 
You've seen a flag raised and the choir sings and the national anthem begins to play overhead and people at times are weeping and crying and singing. It's a form of little w worship. Here's my point. Everyone worships. We all do. The question of, not, of life is not, are you a worshiper? I promise you, you are. The question of life is, who or what are you worshiping the most? And that's not little w, that's big w. Who has the highest place of honor and worship and praise for you? So what, what I said earlier was, the resurrection should reorder our worship. right? Because your football team's really good, but they're not raising from the dead. Some of you discovered that last season. You're like, no one can resurrect this team, right? Um, so the resurrection reorders our worship over country, over team, over money, because Jesus demonstrates in the resurrection that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords, and he reorders our worship. He becomes the most important. We're, the, we're most passionate about him. Right? The resurrection message results in sharing. And it happens organically. Good news is just meant to be shared. Think about the last time uh, you saw a TV show that you really love. You know who's really, really good about this, I have found? Right? And this is not meant to be a dig or making fun of you at all, although you might chuckle at it a little bit. Who's really good at this is Downton Abbey fans. You talk to a Downton Abbey fan, in five minutes you're going to find out they're a Downton Abbey fan. Right? They, they just love that show and they want you to love it too. And there's a lot of shows that are that way where people are just organically, I need to share this with you. You're going to love the show. You're going to love this content. And we have a message that says, man, your sins, all of your sins, they can be forgiven. We have a story that we know that says, man, your future is secured. That we have a story that says, man, our teacher and savior is wise and good and amazing. And, and that he empowers us to live the life he has in store for us in this life and, and in the next. And sharing comes naturally. So it happens organically. It also happens by command. Soon after his resurrection, Jesus said this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, again, notice they worshipped, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them. And said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus stands before his disciples before he goes back up to heaven. He says, people need to know all authority in heaven and on earth, it's mine. My resurrection proved it, and people need to be reminded of it. So they're not tempted to follow lesser gods, little g gods, so they're not tempted to follow them. And they're not tempted to be discouraged when little g gods seem to be having their way and they seem to be in control. They need to be reminded all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They need to be reminded to follow me and obey me, Jesus says, because I love them. I created them. I know the best way for them to live. They don't have to settle for less. And he says, they need to be reminded that I'm always with you and you're never alone. If it ever feels like you're alone, it's just a feeling. He's, I am with you always. And you are here on this Easter Sunday because someone shared it with you. Someone at some point, maybe it was a parent, a friend, a colleague, whatever. Someone shared it with you. And let's remember to forward that on. This message is so important. Paul said, it's of first importance. It's the most important. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his resurrection. And this morning, outside of here, um, 
I'm sure there's a ton of bad news being reported in, in different venues, and it's so easy to just kind of marinate in the bad news. This morning, and leaving this place, we want to have just spend some time kind of marinating in resurrection. That you are powerful, and you are good, and you are in control, and you love us and care about us. And so as we get ready to receive communion uh, together, may we just remember that you went to the cross and you paid for our sins with your life, but you didn't stay dead. You paid for our sins, giving us forgiveness, but you rose from the dead, giving us your power. And for that, we are incredibly grateful. So today we remember, we celebrate, And we never, ever want to forget, Lord, what you've accomplished on Resurrection Sunday. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to receive communion together. And like I said, uh, Jesus' death on the cross, it was his ability uh, of doing that. He gave us his grace. But not staying dead and raising from the dead, he gave us his power. And uh, we like to say around here, we want both those things. Right? We want our sins to be forgiven because we screw up on a regular basis. We want our sins to be forgiven, but we want power to overcome. And in the resurrection story, both those things happen. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, and he gives us his power so that we can overcome. And so right now, we just want to shut out everything else going on in your personal life or just in the world, and we want to just remember the resurrection. We want to enjoy it and celebrate it and allow it to encourage us and empower us and give us a joy, hope, and peace. So the servers are going to pass out the, the two cups stacked on top of each other. The bread represents Jesus' body. The juice represents his blood. And you just hold on to those and think about the resurrection for a few minutes. And then I'll come back up in a few minutes and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. For our forgiveness and for our grace. And three days later, he rose again for our power uh, that he also shares with us. He shares with his grace, uh, his grace and his power. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace found in the cross and his power in the resurrection, and we need both. And so we're grateful. We worship your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to be starting a new series uh, called uh, The Grace-Centered Family. And uh, the series is going to be just a reminder out of the book of Ephesians that there's this real temptation in our culture uh, because of uh, social media and the like to portray our families as, as perfect. Um, and what we all know in this room is that there are no perfect families. And so what we need as our goal is not perfection. What we need as our goal is grace, uh, that we, we have grace for one another. And uh, like Scott said in the opener, uh, sometimes it's easier to show that um, to people a little bit further away than it is in our own family, but we want to be reminded of God's grace over the next five weeks and how important it is to show that. So go ahead and stand up. We're going to close with one last song. Uh, happy Easter. I hope you guys have a great day. All right, we'll see you soon. Just real quickly, would you join me in thanking everyone who helped out with the breakfast this morning? I'm not sure if anybody's still back there, but we want to make sure it's loud enough that they can hear us all the way down the hall if they are. All right. Thanks, guys. Like Steve said, happy Easter. Mm-hmm.
Lo, in the grave he 